Indeed, uh, it's midday live. It's uh, five, make it six minutes past twelve. Welcome to your Monday edition of uh, uh, this show. And uh, cricket on the go. South Africa up against Pakistan, 124 for four. Um, lies on 62, and uh, Dumini is on 17. The run rate there is uh, 2.6 uh, per over. So really interesting uh, cricket. This one, 124 for four. All right, uh, to our top story this hour. The South Gauteng High Court has ruled that uh, the state should provide legal funding for survival. Marikana mine workers and the families of the miners killed last year. The courts granted an application by the miners' chief legal representative, Advocate Dalimbofu. The miners and their families have not been represented at the Marikana Commission because of uh, the lack of funding. The state has argued that uh, it would be unconstitutional and unlawful for government to provide financial assistance to every private person. On the line right now, we're joined on the line by uh, the lawyer representing the miners, Andres Ngome. Good afternoon to you, Andres. So your reaction to this, you must be satisfied. We happy that at last, you know, the court has given us a chance to make sure that the truth is revealed at the end of the day. So what does it mean now? You're going back to the commission? We now we're going back to the commission tomorrow. Uh, we are happy about the fact that you know the, the, the court has also ordered that the state should pay the cost of coming to court at all. So we definitely are going back to the commission tomorrow. And uh, is, uh, is, is this enough now, uh, the, the money that uh, you were asking for, are you going to get uh, every cent of it, or you still need more? I, I, I remember it's it, it at the rate of the legal aid. So we are going to be going at the, at, at, at the legal aid rate. But that is enough, the rate that we have been asking for. All right, and uh, and uh, the the commission we understand has been granted yet another extension. Uh, talk us through this one. Look, the commission remember at the beginning of the year had been uh, set down to proceed in two phases. Uh, one where the court of limitations and 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 testimony uh, been given by people uh, orally, and the second phase been that it should be done. Uh, on the, on, on the basis of record, on, on the basis of documentation. It's now going to be proceeding to make sure that the first thing comes to an end. That means that the documentation comes to an end. And therefore, we have a chance to come through to the commission to say that people that are there on the phone, we seek a permission to call them back so that we can call them on them. Okay, thank you very much, Andres Ngome, who is uh, the lawyer representing the miners. And uh, we tried to uh, talk to the department as well, and uh, we're struggling to get the department. But uh, let's talk now to Tsepo Matlangu, the spokesperson for the Marikana Commission of Inquiry. Mr. Matlangu, good afternoon to you. Good afternoon to you, Bongin. Good afternoon to all your listeners. What does this mean that uh, the South Houteng High Court has uh, ruled that uh, the state should provide legal funding for the surviving Marikana mine workers? What do you read of it? Well, the, the view of the commission is that the the commission um, notes the judgment as it has been delivered today at the High Court, and that's really the the the, the commission can comment any further than that, um, except to say that um, you know the commission does note the judgment delivered. Mm. And and uh, do you think from now forth then everything is going to be moving smoothly because uh, you recall that uh, the, the the lawyers pulled out representing these mine workers so you see them coming back and you see everything rolling out smoothly. 
Well, Bongi, you would remember that um, the commission has been moving uh, in spite of the lawyers that represents those that have been injured and arrested and uh, have been pulled out of the commission. And from the commission's point of view, the commission has been moving smoothly. And, and as a result, um, you know, hence the, the view of the commission to say uh, the commission knows the judgment. Uh, but the commission has been continuing. It continues to do credible work to ensure that it fulfills its mandate as, as um, in, in the proclamations. And uh, we understand also that the commission has been granted another extension. Please talk us through that. Well, the, the view that the commission has um, is that nothing has yet been communicated to the people. Um, this mandate that we, the commission has, has expired on you know, the 31st of October this month. But of course, we do know that there are uh, discussions between the commission, the Department of Justice, as well as the presidents in respect of, of ensuring that indeed the commission's uh, period is extended to allow the commission to be able to complete its work. Mr. Masang, how far is, is the commission right now? How far are you from wrapping up uh, and be satisfied that uh, you, you have done enough really to, to understand, uh, for the nation to understand what happened at Marikana? The, in, in so far as the number of witnesses that, that uh, appear before the commission is concerned, if that is anything to go by, we the commission has to paid um, interview that no less than 22 witnesses that, that has come before the commission. Uh, secondly, uh, the commission um, has set for close to about 25 days or so since it just put together a service by the president of the And of course, if you look at the number of transcripts, pages, which are a record of deliberations in the commission that goes uh, beyond 15,000 odd. So one from one can comfortably say from that point of view that indeed there has been work done, credible work done, further work being done by the Commission to ensure that um, it, at the end of its period it can make a, a sound findings as it were and, and compile a report that will be sent to the head of state. All right, and we thank you very much, Tsepo Matlango, the spokesperson for the Marikana Commission of Inquiry. Let's talk now uh, to our reporters, Pio Mkize, who's uh, on the lines. Pio, good afternoon. Your call has been placed on hold. All right, we're going to try and uh, get uh, Spiwe back on the line. Uh, our call has been placed on hold there, as you heard. Uh, but uh, Spiwe Mkize is uh, our reporter who is uh, uh, attending the Marikana Commission of Inquiry. It's underway right now, and uh, this is the third time the commission has been uh, granted uh, the extension, as you heard. Uh, it has it has been uh, granted the extension. It was supposed to wrap up on the 31st of October, uh, but uh, still a long way to go. Spiwe Mkize, good afternoon to you. Good afternoon, Bongi. Thank you. Talk us through what is happening at uh, the Marikana Commission of Inquiry today. Well, we saw earlier two video clips uh, of news bulletins uh, being uh, shown here at the Commission, one from uh, an Australian television and another one from the SABC. 
The video clips are about events on the 16th of August last year, just hours before uh, police shot and killed 34 mine workers. And this, this one a particular report uh, from an Austra- the Australian television was uh, playing a clip which where we saw um, a, a after the, the presenter presented her, her news, uh, her bulletin, and then we saw provincial provincial commissioner Zukiso uh, Mbombo uh, saying words such as, "I quote: Today we are ending this matter." And that uh, was 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 yes, around nine o'clock in that on that morning. Now another video clip from the SABC did not include those words uh, from provincial commissioner Zukiso uh, Mbombo, but a voiceover which mentioned that the police issued an ultimatum to the mine workers to either hand over their weapons or face the full might of the law was shown. So initially, uh, the police had um, uh, created their own uh, uh, exhibits that they were going to present here at the commission. But then evidence leaders believe that uh, they, because they could see uh, from, from, from some information that the evidence leader, the, sorry, the police were planning to give those uh, statements, both of them, but then somehow they chose to ignore the one by the Australian uh, television. And then they were planning now to use uh, the one from uh, the SABC because it did not uh, include the, 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 the provincial commissioner's uh, words where she said that uh, today we are ending uh, this uh, matter. And uh, the, the, the lawyers representing the miners, were they there today after the South Houghton High Court ruled that the state should provide fa- legal funding for them? We Currently they are not here and we believe that they might come either today late or maybe tomorrow. We are not sure when they will come because we know that they were at the South Houghton High Court for the judgment. And, and since we've learned that uh, they've won and then we understand that probably they might come later or tomorrow morning, and then it will also be up to the commission whether they want to postpone or they want to continue as is, and then that's when we'll see maybe Dalimbofu coming and giving his presentation. But there's also indications that they might um, have a meeting just to see whether they where they're gonna they, they, where they're gonna start with the because uh, we know that uh, since they provisionally withdrew, a lot has happened here at the commission. They might uh, have a meeting to say, okay, this is. We're taking it from here or whatever, but that will be the decision by the commission. But uh, did the issue of funding come up at all, given the ruling by the South Houghton High Court? Here at the commission, no, it was not mentioned. It's, it's business as usual. It's only the, 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 the commission and it's only the evidence leaders who are busy with their cross-examination. And I was hoping, because I also spoke to one of the evidence leaders, to find out whether they can may perhaps be able to give us their reaction in regards to what has happened at the South Houghton High Court in regards to the court's decision. And they said, you know, at this moment, they, not, they don't even want to uh, comment on that because they were not even part of that uh, from, the, from the beginning. So they will have to wait for that team to come over here, and then they will take it from there because they said that uh, here at the commission is only the commission. As we saw previously, the commission went on, even when we saw the uh, MPOFU going to the North Houghton High Court, the commission was continuing, and it was all oh, it was business as usual here. So that is another matter. It's a complete, it's a completely different matter. They will only have to wait for them to come here, and then they'll see whether they'll continue and, and as to when they'll continue. Thank you very much, as Pure Mkize, our reporter on the Marikana Commission of Inquiry. We must also state that we tried to get hold of the Department of Justice, and our efforts were unsuccessful. It's 17 minutes past 12.
Our top story this hour, the South Gauteng High Court has ruled that the state should provide legal funding for surviving Marikana mine workers and the families of uh, the miners killed last year. Looking at the markets this hour, gold is trading at $1,276.18 an ounce, platinum at $1,375.50 an ounce, the rand is trading at 9 rand 91 cents against the US dollar, at 15 rand 83 to the pound and at 13 rand 44 cents to the euro. Hi, I'm Valen Kirti. I'm a Shake the World Ambassador, which means that I support the eight millennium development goals set by the United Nations in 2000. Lime green, orange and dark green beads adorn my wrist because I support goal two, achieving primary education. Goal number three, promoting gender equality and empowering women. And goal seven, ensuring environmental sustainability. These are massive tasks which will need the energy of millions. My support is how I shake the world. How do you shake the world? This is SAFM. The Eastern Cape Health Crisis Action Coalition is scheduled to meet in East London to chart the way forward. This after the coalition released a report titled Death and Dying in the Eastern Cape, claiming that uh, the provincial health system is on the verge of collapse. The report was later handed over to the Department of Health in the Eastern Cape, wherein they requested MECs Telo Kobana to respond with a a detailed turnaround plan for the province's health system by October 11. The report focused mainly on the chronic shortage of uh, doctors and nurses, inadequate medicines, poor equipment and shortages of uh, pharmacists and uh, at hospitals and clinics. From on this now, we're joined on the line by the National Chairperson of the Treatment Action Campaign, uh, Anele Yawa. Mr. Yawa, good afternoon to you. Good afternoon to you, sir. How are you? I'm fine. Has uh, the coalition met yet? No, the thing is, our meeting will start now at 1 o'clock, where we are going to, to, to shape up our way forward. What, what are you discussing? Uh, you know, we are we are not yet met, but we are going to meet uh, this afternoon as a collision, so that we can be able to shape up the way forward. Because after our march on the 13th of September, there is no response from the side of the MEC, except the letter that he wrote to us saying that he intends to meet with us on the 22nd of November. However, we are not satisfied about that letter because we have submitted a memorandum and we expected that they are going to respond to the issues that we have raised in the memorandum, but nothing has happened to that effect except the letter that we received that he seeks to meet with the coalition on the 22nd of November. What are the issues that you are raising in uh, that memorandum? Come again. The issues that uh, you are raising in that memorandum that you submitted to the department, what, what are you worried about? There are, there are many issues that we, we have raised there. If you remember, uh, uh, on, the, on, the, on the 9th of, I mean, uh, in September, after our march, I think it was on the 28th, the, the, the Minister of Health had a press conference based on the report that we have submitted to him and the NEC. And we really appreciate the intervention by the National Minister, Dr. Aaron Mutualit, where he called a press conference and he addressed a number of issues, starting from staff issues, as medicines and, med- and, and medical supplies and other equipment. Uh, but our problem is that focus of the minister was based on the issue of the OR camp. 
and we expected that the MEC will follow suit what has been done by the minister, maybe to call a press conference and tell the nation what are the interventions that he is going to undertake with regards with, with regards to other tricks, but nothing has happened so far. And uh, what is your, your your next move then? I know that this afternoon you'll be discussing that, but uh, what what can we expect? What can we expect? First, first and foremost is that uh, TAC and the coalition, none of them are political parties. We are civil society organizations, but dealing with political issues. And our problem is that the civil society organizations are being labeled as ten codes counter-revolutionaries, yet we are not such. So now we feel that the MEC, we understand that he is a deployee. He's got political principles. So as TAC, what we want to, sub- to suggest in the meeting today of the coalition is that we need to meet with the ANC leadership in the province. Mm. We need to meet with the premier of the, of the Eastern Cape, Mama uh, Nopolo uh, so that we bring them on board. We also need, we will, in, the, in the process, we will involve the Eastern Cape AIDS Council as well as the health portfolio of the Eastern Cape so that we put our case to them and tell them that here is a person that we deployed to lead this particular department, but this particular person is not doing what we expect as the citizens of the, of the Eastern Cape. So what are your interventions, ANC, as, as the organization that deployed uh, uh, MEC, what are your interventions, Premier, as the person who has appointed uh, the, the problem that we are faced with is that the, our, you know, the MEC, the reason that he is so stubborn and reluctant, it is simply because he has been placed in a wrong place. He was supposed to be the MEC of education because by profession he is a teacher, but he was appointed to health department. So that, those are some of the problems that are faced with. So we feel that as TAC, we're going to bring this thing on top of the table to say that as a coalition, here is the, is the way forward. Okay. Let us let us call the premier so that they can also intervene on this matter because the MEC does not want to meet with the coalition. All right, all, all right, uh, Mr. Yawa, thank you very much. Uh, Anele Yawa is the national chairperson of uh, the Treatment Action Campaign. We have on the line right now Sizwe Kupelo, who is uh, the spokesperson for the Department of Health in the Eastern Cape. Mr. Kupelo, good afternoon to you. You heard uh, what uh, Mr. Yawa is saying, going as far as uh, even suggesting that uh, the MEC is stubborn. He doesn't want to meet with them. What do you have to say to that? <laughs> now, it is very clear that uh, the move is political. Because judging by what he has just told you and the nation, they are seeking the removal of the MEC in their view because he is not a clinician. However, to respond to the issue of the memorandum that was handed over to the Superintendent General of the Department, the National Minister has responded and he announced the interventions based on their report and the Provincial Department was then tasked with uh, developing an implementation plan. The implementation plan is available, focusing more in the OR Tambo as the National Health Insurance site, mm. but it looks into the province as a whole. With regards to briefing the coalition, there is an intention uh, for the Superintendent General of the Department 
to meet with the coalition and take them through the plan. The department is not about the political head. It is about a collective. Right. But and the issues that we address should be about ensuring that we provide quality health care to the people of faith. Okay. But, uh, Something Mr. that Mr. we've been doing all along. Mr. Kupelo, you're saying that uh, the, the coalition's intention uh, is to have the MEC removed. Will it be wrong, though, uh, to have the MEC removed uh, if, if things are so dire in the, in the Eastern Cape, in, the, uh, in, in health there? You heard uh, Dr. Aaron Muswalidi also admitting that uh, things are quite bad. You see, Mwange, if you analyze the situation of the Eastern Cape, you've got to be realistic. It is facing uh, unique challenges. Mm. It is rural in nature. It has, it has got uh, 92 hospitals, over 1,000 health facilities. And if you were to compare the Eastern Cape to Kauteng, to make an example, the MEC of Health in Kauteng can be in a position to visit all health facilities within a day or two. In the Eastern Cape, that is impossible. Mm. And also the other issue is the budget. But if you were to talk about the issues that have been raised, are they or were they accurate or not? Were there distortions in the report? I would say yes, because a lot has been done. For instance, if you talk about infrastructural intervention, the hospitals that we have had to demolish and rebuild, especially in the eastern side of the province. Currently, as I'm talking to you, we are renovating 22 clinics, 222 clinics in the province, and we're building Cecilia Makwan at a billion rand. We've just completed 154 million uh, facility for pediatric oncology at Fair in East London. We're spending another billion rand to build six other hospitals in Port Elizabeth and the former Transkai area. So there's a lot that is being done. And all I'm saying, especially to the coalition, we have been saying we have a serious challenge here where we've been given budget to train more doctors and nurses. And we've done that. We've spent over 500 million. But our main challenge, because of the rurality of the Eastern Cape, the young doctors and young nurses have left the province. They've run away without mm. serving their time in the Eastern Cape. But uh, if, now, if we you welcome say... interventions there from the coalition, but if they were to assist the department in ensuring that we track down such doctors to come and serve the people of the Eastern Cape. But, but uh, Mr. Know? Kupelo, if you say uh, Eastern Cape is rural, I mean, uh, you, you also have uh, KZN, for instance, which is largely yeah, have rural. Have you been to the Eastern but, Cape? Are you from the Eastern Cape, Mr. Bongi? No, I'm saying to you, uh, but you have uh, KZN also, which is, uh, which is uh, rural, and uh, you don't find these problems. There are, no, there are no, problems, the, but not in, in, the, in, the, in the order that they are in the Eastern Cape. I'm saying, what is being done to address those issues? I've just mentioned some of the interventions that have been made, but don't compare Eastern Cape to Guadalajara. But it's been going you on forever, Mr. Kupelo, please. No, but we're also challenging those issues. We're also, I mean, addressing those challenges. But I have a problem with armchair critics who sit in Johannesburg and begin to analyze uh, Eastern Cape from a wrong turn. You, 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 com you compared point. Eastern Cape to Gauteng. I'm saying, why don't you compare it to KZN, which is no, not I'm a rural? Eastern, no, I'm comparing Eastern Cape to Gauteng because it, Gauteng is also eating on our budget. How so? the investments, yes, the, the, the doctors that we trained are serving Wazulmetal, Gauteng, and Western Cape because they are well developed. And those uh, young doctors are attracted in those provinces. Okay, when are you meeting the coalition, Mr. Cooper? 
The superintendent general has been tasked to arrange a meeting with the coalition so that we can address these issues. All right. Uh, and uh, the timeline, when are you meeting them exactly? The superintendent general has been given a task to arrange a meeting between his office and the coalition to discuss the issues. Do you have a date? You want me to repeat what I've just said, Mr. Bowling? Do, do you have a date? That's what I'm asking. There is an intention on the part of the... I don't have this schedule. Oh, you right. have to do that. Okay. Thank you very okay. much, Cesar Copello okay. is uh, the spokesperson for the Department of Health in the Eastern Cape. 12.30 now, and it's time for the news headlines. Utsile Sako. All right, uh, we look forward to it. Uh, thank you very much. Shadow Twila comes through between uh, 1 and 2 right here on SFM 104-107. Umalusi, the Examination Quality Assurance Body, says it is all systems go for the end of uh, the year examination. Uh, the body says uh, all uh, question papers have been approved. Its uh, Chief Executive Officer, Mafu Rakometsi, says that the Council of uh, Quality Assurance in general and further education and training is ready for 2013. Let's uh, talk now to Umalusi spokesperson Laki Didaunyane. Mr. Didaunyane, good afternoon to you. Good afternoon, sir. How are you? I'm fine. Thank you very much. Uh, what's the state of uh, readiness now for the examinations? Yeah, uh, in a media statement that we made this morning, we indicated that, um, as you rightfully said, it is all systems go for the 2013 national examinations. And uh, what we are saying is that uh, Umalusi has subjected all the assessment bodies to the necessary processes to make sure that everything is in place for this year's final examinations. If I can just give you a bit of some of the things that were said, um, the National Senior Certificate alone the, uh, for the 2013 examinations will be written by some 707,000 learners and it will take place across more than 6,699 examination centers. And these examinations will be overseen by about 65,000 invigilators and will be marked by over 35,000 markers in more than 118 marking centers across the country. Mm. So obviously we are talking about a mammoth task and uh, obviously this is something that uh, Omar Lucy really has to look at quite closely because it is one of the major uh, things in our, in our calendar as an organization. And uh, talk, talk us through the security measures that you are putting in place this year. Um, the, what we have done is that uh, we have sent a, a group of monitors to the various provinces to make sure that... Uh, Everything is in place, all the systems are in place, all the procedures are being followed as per UMALU's requirements. And uh, we have, of course, satisfied ourselves as a quality assuring body that uh, all things are in place to make sure that uh, uh, by the time the learners write, uh, there are national senior certificate exams in particular, even though that's not the only thing we were looking at, so that by the time they start with their exams, that... Uh, we have uh, done all the checks and balances uh, to, to our satisfaction. Mm. And uh, you recall also the Department of Basic Education was at uh, Lockerheads with SATU, for instance, on the quality of uh, teachers that mark the final examination papers. Have you addressed that in any way? Well, we have always said as Malusi that the matter of the markers and the quality of markers is a labor relations issue. 
which should be left up to uh, the labor relations uh, bodies to deal with. However, what we can say is that uh, we have also set in uh, meetings where markers were appointed in various provinces, and those markers are also going to um, uh, sign new contracts with those assessment bodies. So basically what we can say at the moment is that uh, the selection of markers has taken place and that uh, it is all systems go with regards to, to the marquee. As, as far as the other issue is concerned, we cannot say much about that because it's an employee-employer matter that should uh, be left to the DBE and, uh, and, the, uh, and the other uh, bodies such as unions and so on. Mm. But, uh, but it's concerning that uh, the, the, the markers really are not of, uh, well, most of them are not of uh, high quality. Well, um, another thing that I can say is that from our corner as Uma Lucy, we also uh, uh, sit in meetings where these markers are, of course, also subjected to all kinds of criteria to make sure that we pick the right kind of markers for especially the, uh, the end uh, point exams that is now, in this case, uh, the National Senior Certificate. So um, I, I don't think it is, it is necessarily a fair reflection to say that all markers are found wanting when it comes to their competency. Mm. However, if there are issues to be raised about the quality of markers, as I said earlier, this is a matter that should be left to the employer and the employee. And uh, what's, uh, what's the expectation insofar as the pass rate this year is concerned? What can you tell us? Well, as you might lose, we never pronounce on that because really that is not really our, our, our place to say. Remember our, our task as a quality assurance body is to make sure that all the systems, especially leading up to the writing of the examinations, are in place, that as the examinations are being written, that everything is done according to our requirements, and that even post the writing of the examinations, that in fact all the systems are followed all the way through until the, uh, the, the moment of resulting. So as Umaluti, uh, we want, of course, our learners to do well, but we cannot say we want them to achieve this or that, uh, Mark. That is really not our place to say. We thank you very much, uh, Mr. Ditaunyana. Lucky Ditaunyana is uh, Umalusi spokesperson. Let's stay with uh, Metals Education. Security is tight at one of uh, the five FET colleges on uh, the Cape West Coast, where hundreds of students were due to start writing their exams this morning. Uh, two of uh, the colleges were shut down last week following protests over allegations that uh, management has been misusing bursary funds. The Higher Education Department says it's investigating reports of corruption at a number of uh, FET institutions. For more on this now, we're joined on the line by the Director General at uh, the Department of Higher Education, Kwebinkundla Konde. Mr. Konde, good afternoon to you. Good morning, sir. How are you? I'm fine. Thank you very much. Uh, let's talk about what's happening uh, on the Cape West Coast. We understand the security is tight at one of uh, the FET colleges there. Has exams started? Uh, no, what is happening there? that uh, today there is a start of exams and the college put all measures into ensuring that uh, students are not disrupted when they are in the session of examinations. So the security measures that have been, in, that have been put in place are actually 
towards ensuring that no student is disadvantaged in so far as writing the examinations is concerned. Mm. But uh, this comes after two of uh, the colleges they were shut down last week following protests. So you 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 really worried about that, are you? No, we are worried about any form of disturbance that uh, occurs in the institutions, and uh, we attend those matters with all uh, the attention. Uh, from our side, and we make it a point that uh, the rule of law uh, is brought uh, to bear in all institutions so that normal teaching and learning could actually take place and ensuring that all the issues that are arisen in the form of grievances are actually attended to either in terms of uh, forensic investigation or uh, some due processes that are normally undertaken in terms of the law as well as verification. For instance, uh, in some other colleges, this matter of bursaries, you know, has been raised to us, and we attend to them uh, as speedily as possible. For instance, the matter was raised in regard to Lovedale FET College, you know, at the beginning of the year, and it was around NESFAS. But what we have actually established after investigation is that the error rate in the allocation of these bursaries is about 40% at Lovedale FET College. It happens in various ways. For students would actually stay with their parents in their homes. They come to a college and they claim accommodation money. Mm. I'm just citing as an example. Sure. Others would stay at a distance of about 500 meters away from a college. They come to a college and claim transport money. Uh, This is really quite disturbing, but we are investigating all these uh, cases. But thus far, what we are picking up is that instead of having shortfall on NESFAS, what is happening is fraudulent activities as well as corrupt practices that are ripping the scheme off in some instances by students as well as by staff. King mm. Inter, for instance, they raised a similar thing, but when we undertook verification process through rigorous in- investigation, we found that 46% error rate, Motio FET College in Bloemfontein, 72% uh, error rate in the awarding and allocation of these bursaries. So we're not saying there are no genuine issues, but often time and again, what we normally find out uh, is that fraudulent practices as well as corrupt practices are the ones that are causing these problems. And in the main, it's by students themselves. Mm. And how much of a problem across the FETs is this problem of uh, misusing bursary funds and, of course, uh, corruption uh, at uh, these institutions? No, it's across. Of course, institutions are affected differently. But now that we are actually picking up the matter and the, we are decisive in our interventions, uh, people are pulling back now and the, we're confident that the system is the improving for the better going forward. We are attending only in those areas that have got uh, some flashpoints. Mm. You understand that we have got 50 FET colleges in the country with 
just around 264 campuses. And all of them have got students, and some of the students uh, are bursary, NESFAS bursary beneficiaries. And these problems can actually take place in campuses, and the campuses are affected uh, differently as well. They are not affected in the same way. NESFAS... There were reports that uh, it's uh, broke. Can you can you confirm that? Do do you still have money there for bursaries? I don't know what you mean by broke, but uh, by and large, the money that is available to support students uh, doesn't normally cater for everybody. But I think, to a very large extent, all students who are financially needy and academically deserving have been kept in the system. Okay. What is undercutting the efficiency and, effi- and effectiveness of, of this scheme is fraud and corruption that we need everybody, including yourselves, to actually come to the party so that we fight this uh, sketch of corruption and fraudulent uh, practices in our system. We sure will we help. Now that is beginning to yield you know, some results. We thank you very much, Kweps Konde, Director General at the Department of Higher Education. It's 14 minutes now to 1. This is a Midday Live, SAFM 104 to 107. Let's give you now your lunchtime market updates. And we say good afternoon to Prandana Naidu of Saswin Securities. How are the markets looking today? Bongi, the focus for this week is over the shutdown and the looming default, which could rattle global markets if the U.S. debt ceiling is not raised. We saw Asian markets slip this morning, and disappointing trade data from China further added to selling pressures. Tension is mounting as the U.S. enters its third week of partial shutdown. The S&P 500 advanced on Friday ahead of Congress's meeting held at the weekend, but still no decision was made, and investors now believe the negotiations will come down to the October 17th deadline. With this in mind, U.S. futures are pointing to a lower opening later this afternoon. Locally, the JSC is lackluster, fluctuating between gains and losses. On the corporate front, NAMPAC has announced the appointment of their new CEO, Mr. Andre Dureta, who is joining the company from Sasol, where he headed up Global Chemicals and the North American operations. Taking a look at the local indices, we've got the Gold Index up 1%, Resources 10 Index up 0.9%, Industrial 25 Index down 0.25%, and the Financial Index up half a percent. Overall, the market is up 82 points to 43,700. And there's stocks on the move today? Well, Nampak up 5%, 32 rand 60. Mondi PLC up 2% to 171 rand. Anglo Gold up 2% to 132 rand. On the downside, we've got ABI down 2.4% to 60 rand and 50 cents. Into Properties down 2% to 52 rand. And Grinrod down 1.9% to 25 rand and 60 cents. And uh, your latest market indicators? Gold is trading at $1,277 an ounce, platinum $1,377 an ounce, and Brent crude $109.50 per barrel. Finally, we've got the rand at 9.93 to the dollar, 15 rand 86 to the pound, and 13 rand 46 to the euro. Thank you very much. Prandana Naidu is with uh, Saswin Securities.
Let's uh, go through a couple of SMSs and tweets and uh, emails. Uh, I thought the coalition was interested in addressing the issues in their memo and not MEC and uh, minister addressing press conferences. Why don't they wait for the November meeting where government will respond to the issues they raised? That SMS is unsigned. And an email coming through from uh, Budaza uh, in Porch saying that uh, the South Houting High Court judgment, it's a clear interpretation of justice delayed is justice denied. The AU took a correct decision but should form its own African criminal court uh, writes uh, Budaza there and uh, this one uh, from Vuyan in Bloemfontein says uh, thanks Bongi my, my in-laws stay in a state health system is shocking there and uh, Vuyo in Epai says uh, there you are Bongi no way the health department boss man is going to take you seriously he is not accountable to anyone least of all uh, people uh, or, or the people that's uh, an, insur- uh, an email there coming through from uh, in it's been confirmed uh, that France will lend 100 million euros or well over a billion rand to ESCOM for the construction of a solar power station and a wind farm. This will help South Africa meet its commitment to making more use of renewable energy and cutting back on carbon emissions. The deal is being signed as part of a summit between President Jacob Zuma and his French counterpart Francois Hollande in Pretoria. The two leaders have been holding talks at the union buildings. Today marks another important milestone in bilateral relations between South Africa and France. We are truly delighted to host His Excellency Mr. Francois Holland on his first state visit to our country. Cooperation between the two countries cuts across a broad spectrum of areas including such areas as defense, development, cooperation, science and technology, arts and culture, energy and agriculture. We also have strong economic linkages. France is South Africa's third largest investment and trading partner in the European Union. Between the period 2004 and 2012, investments worth 15 billion rand by French companies were recorded, creating significant job opportunities. We have also agreed that we need together to develop trade in a balanced manner. President uh, Jacob Zuma there. And uh, Ndebo Mokobo is uh, our political reporter and uh, he covers the president a great deal. Ndebo, good afternoon to you. No, Ntebo is uh, not on the line. Uh, we'll try and uh, come back to Ntebo to talk more about uh, this uh, visit by uh, French President Francois Hollande. It's uh, nine minutes uh, to one, and shortly we'll be going to the African Union's decision that uh, no sitting uh, African head of state should appear before any international criminal court, and that has drawn criticism from uh, some quarters of uh, the civil society there. So we'll be going back to that story shortly. But Ntebo Mokobo, good afternoon to you.
Good afternoon, Bongi, and good afternoon to the listeners. And uh, this, uh, we're hearing now that uh, France will be lending uh, South Africa 100 million euros, and that money will be going to ESCOM for the construction of a solar power station. Really a sign of uh, affirmation by, uh, uh, by France. Indeed, Bongi, uh, uh, you would recall that, I mean, uh, as, as we've been listening to uh, President Hollande's speech, he's been saying that he, in, uh, France is indeed a, a key partner uh, of South Africa and, of course, one country that would want to see development in South Africa. And that development is informed by this uh, a, a long-standing relationship between uh, uh, South Africa and France that uh, dates back to 1994. And, of course, even the presidency of uh, 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 President Hollande, who is a, a leader of the Socialist Party, the Socialist Party that has got a long-standing relations with the ANC. Uh, again, uh, Bongi, one thing that needs to be mentioned is that uh, uh, there's going to be uh, 4 billion uh, euros that is going to be spent in South Africa by a, a, a company in France, a, a rail company in France that will be partnering with Prasa, whereby they will be building carriages uh, to uh, ensure that there is a public transport, especially when it comes to rail in South Africa. And, of course, that on its own will yield into a number of job opportunities that would be created. Again, President Hollande insisted and committed his country and pledged that uh, there's going to be training that will be done here in South Africa by uh, uh, French companies to train people who will be uh, uh, constructing those carriages. And, of course, if needs be, those people from South Africa would then be taken again to France for further training. Mm. And uh, what else uh, was, uh, was agreed upon? Well, uh, uh, especially on the issue of the International uh, Criminal Court, both presidents agreed that uh, they don't support impunity. And, of course, uh, President Hollande insisted that uh, they would allow uh, Africa, they would only come to Africa, because you would recall that there has been a sort of a, 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 a cold relation uh, between uh, France, especially when it comes to uh, its so-called interference in the continent. Uh, uh, President Hollande insisted that they will only be coming to Africa if they're invited, and they will only offer support. They're not going to uh, dictate to Africa what needs to happen in Africa, especially when it comes to, or in terms of peace and security, they will only be invited. And of course, again, he said that uh, they, they don't support impunity, but will work with the African Union, will work with African leaders to ensure that uh, uh, there is peace in the continent. Again, they did discuss the issue of the Central African Republic. They said there is an emergency in that country. They will only uh, uh, be guided by the United Nations Security Council in terms of what needs to happen. They will go there. You will recall again, France has agreed to increase its soldiers or its personnel in the Central African Republic. And again, uh, President Hollande uh, rebutted some of the statements that were made that France was in the Central African Republic for okay. its own interest. He said they were there to protect their own city. Thank you very much. Ndebo uh, Mokobo is our political reporter. Create is proudly presented by Business and Arts South Africa, bringing the business of the arts and the art of business together. The winners of the annual Tutuga Jewelry and Product Development Program were announced last week at the Fada Gallery at the University of Johannesburg. The program, which is a partnership between the Department of Arts and Culture and various jewelry design schools and community groups, aims to identify and develop the design abilities of young talented designers wanting to enter the jewelry trade in South Africa. 
Carola Ross is the Program Director of the Tutuka Jewellery and Product Development Program. Tutuka is tough, it's hard. The demands on the students is very high and the lecturers do complain about it, but they produce because their sense of satisfaction when they've made a beautiful piece of jewellery or even tableware is so enormous it spurs them on to continue to be better. Each year a brief is given to the students and this year's theme was the African bead. I like to always do something African and it's so wonderful to work in our own context. So I gave the theme of the African bead and of course immediately everybody thought of this little round thing and you can see how I pushed them to go beyond the little round thing to large, to square, to small, to oblong and they had to use patterning reference from their environment. Just do anything that turns them on, that can stimulate to create a wonderful pattern. So they made their beads perfectly. From that they had to extract just simple patterns, just the idea, and make a piece of jewellery, a ring, earring or necklace. And then the ultimate challenge was for them to make a small bud vase out of that. But the interesting thing is that on their own initiative to keep the connection to jewellery they used gold luster on their little vases and there was your connection back to jewellery, which I thought was highly innovative. According to Ross, the project also focused on youth empowerment and young postgraduate students were matched with community jewellery students to give them hands-on mentoring. That is the way forward for Tutuka, is very much using past graduates, not just of Tutuka, but graduates of their courses, young university graduates, to teach other young people in the community jewellery school. So this year was an experiment. I used six from various universities and people that I've worked with before and they don't feel threatened. They're not intimidated. They're working with their peers who've achieved and that makes it an aspirational experience for them. All the young mentors, the six of them, have said to me they have learned so much about this process and about human relationships, which is very interesting. And that free flowing of caring and respecting is very wonderful to watch, and it's definitely the future of Tutuka. One of the young mentors is Lincoln McQuenna, a trainer from Ekurulena Jewelry Project, who also won the Excellence Award. I've encouraged the students, if they are good with their hands, you know, they can go anywhere into the jewelry industry and create anything. And I just want to create more jewelers for the black community, because it's rated under a white dominated industry and so I'd like to take out that mindset that whether you are white or black being given that opportunity you can make it in this industry. The overall winner in the achievement category for third year students was Nora Kovats from the University of Stellenbosch. Kovats describes her winning piece. My work is quite colorful it's made with enamel domes and bright orange and yellow and greenish nylon fishing line and these enamel domes are put together in beads and set with little silver claws. The prizes include bursaries as well as silver in order to work with it in upcoming jewellery works. According to Kovats, being given silver was an incentive as it's not cheap to come by. To buy what would have a 200 grams of silver, that will cost you over 2,000 rand and that is a lot to just pay for material. And that's the problem we're constantly faced with. We need so many materials and so if there's something like this, the competition that sponsors a part of it, I mean that's great, that's a really good incentive. The Tutuga Jewellery Exhibition will run at the University of Johannesburg's Fada Gallery until the 22nd of October. Selected pieces will be on sale at Hyde Park Shopping Mall in Johannesburg towards the end of November. The pieces are exciting, contemporary and fresh, a whole new take on jewellery in South Africa. 
I'm Michelle Constant. This feature was produced by Monique Stunder, and you can email me on create at barsa.co.za. Create, proudly brought to you by Business and Arts South Africa. Creating new opportunities for business arts partnerships. Email create at baza.co.za. And that does it for your Monday edition of uh, Midday Live. Let's meet again tomorrow. It's one o'clock and it's time for the news.